0: Hey guys, thanks for letting me be with you, not that you had a choice, Um, but I really am. I'm super excited to be here, Uh, Vince and Verity, great friends of my wife and I. I am from uh, Gilbert, not from there, but that's where we live. If you're not familiar, Gilbert is the place that you move to once you have three kids, so they actually won't let you in. Uh, until you have three, so we just, we barely made it in, but uh, really excited here, and like Vince mentioned, we did, we used to work together, we worked at a ministry that I still pastor down at Redemption Gobert called 710, it's a ministry to college students and young adults, so you can be excited about that, you're college students and young adults, unless, man, guys, it's peaking, we're we're getting there. And, and probably my most favorite memory from us working together is uh, there's a guy named Jed who leads worship for us. And on Jed's 18th birthday, uh, uh, and fr- at the end of our gathering, Vince got up and wanted us to pray for, for Jed, which I thought was a really nice gesture. But as he began to pray, he started to talk about Jed's changing body and made it incredibly awkward for everyone there. Um, but, but it's a good thing you did, because Jed's body has changed, and it's, it's quite nice now. So thank you for... Thank you for that, so yeah, let's, uh, let's open your Bible if you have one, Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, if you've got it on the uh, analog or digital on your phone or iPad, and I believe we're going to put the text up on the screen for you, we are now, um, I'm actually going to be reading from a different version, from an NIV version, so if the language is a little bit different, it's not you, it's me. Um, but Romans chapter fifteen, at Redemption Church. Uh, if you're not familiar with with uh, what Redemption Churches, we're one church with several congregations throughout the entire state of Arizona, and all of us are working through a series in the book of Romans right now. We're nearly at the end of it. Um, I've had the opportunity to teach some of it down in Gilbert, and so it's just a huge thrill for me to be able to teach it here. What, as we get into this section, you know, one of the things that I was looking at, one of the things that about my relationship with God that's always kind of excited and confused me at the same time, and those are two emotions that I usually feel simultaneously often, but excited and confused me is that somehow there's this reality that God has a desire to somehow and in some way use my life as part of his plan of redeeming and restoring all things. And I know it's not because I have some level of skill or talent or ability that he needs because I don't. And I I know that it's not because I have some uh, position of influence that is key for his plan because I most likely will not. But God, as he's restoring, repairing, redeeming, setting things right, he has a small part for me to play in that. And I want you to understand this kind of as you're working through this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ or by your own admission, your own confession, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you're just kind of kicking the tires on church and God and what kind of all this stuff is. But it's not that I will work for God, but it's that God might work in and through me. And it's actually quite difficult for me to get my head around that concept because I look back at my life and maybe your story is the same and I just kind of see this wake, this kind of trail of garbage of like all these things that I've wrecked, relationships and opportunities and just really poor and selfish decisions and I look back on that and we sang about it this morning, but even in spite of that, God yet still says, yeah, you're mine. You're mine. I've I've got a hope, and I've got a future for you, and I've got a plan that includes you. I'm writing a story that includes you in it, and it's a pretty radical thought for me. And so I want to kind of pose—I'm going to pose a few questions this morning, but I want to pose a question that I hope just kind of sits over our time together, and that question is this. Do you believe that God can use you? And, and maybe because you're, you're in church, you feel like you kind of have to give a church answer. you be like, well, yeah, okay, I, I think you do. But I just really want you to kind of think about it. I want that to settle on you this morning. Is that Do you believe that God can and will use you? So often when we think about being a Christian, we think about, what, about that in terms of what happens to us when we die, right? So the point of being a Christian is, what, is so that everything it comes out legit in the end. But, but following Jesus, the life of a Christian, has far more to do with what you do while you are living than what happens to you after you die. The guy who wrote this letter, Paul, we've mentioned him several times that you're going to read from this morning, was a guy who was not someone that you might pick to be used by God to bring people to God. In fact, um, at one time, this, this man, Paul, who wrote this letter to the church at Rome, he orchestrated followers of Jesus to be thrown in prison or even murdered, but this man, Paul, was transformed in an incredible way by the grace of God, the superabundance of God in his life, and was fully dependent on and by the Spirit of God. And while his life was quite difficult, involved uh, plenty of beating, struggling, suffering, it was a life that was constantly on mission to see the name of Jesus made known and famous and the good news of the Savior King proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And this morning, we're just going to look at one principle. We're just going to look at one thought from this passage this morning, but it's this. I want to look at his commitment to the mission, his relentless proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I, and I hope and my prayer is that it compels and encourages us this morning. I know we've read this, this passage, but I want to read it just one more time together. Um, I'm going to read Romans chapter 15. I'm actually going to read verse 8 all the way to verse 24. So just kind of follow along with me, if you will, please. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews. If you ever highlight or take notes or write things in your Bible or you, you, know, you got something on your iPad or whatever, um, that phrase, Christ becoming a servant, is key in this letter. And I think it's, it's one of the most captivating thoughts and realities and truths that Paul ever encountered. And, and, and that, we're going to see in just a moment, motivates him on his mission that God has given him. He's a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And more, moreover, that the Gentiles, and when you see that word Gentiles, just think anybody who's not a Jew, might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. And again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. And in him the Gentiles will hope. And then Paul, in verse 13, he's kind of, again, he's just captivated and and absolutely enamored by this thought that Christ would come and be a servant so that people would be rescued and returned to him. And so he kind of breaks out in this, almost like, like little worship moment in verse 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you, and I love this word in the NIV, that you may overflow with hope. That you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, and then he begins to talk about his mission. So he uses that as what motivates him in his mission. mission and he begins to talk about said, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Paul says, I know you guys are good there. I know you're a great church there, I know. But yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace uh, God gave me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So Paul says, look, when we have conversations, I'm not going to talk about anything else that I've done except what Christ has actually done through me. In leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power and signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around to, I had to write this word down because I haven't been able to say it, but Illyricum, Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel, the good news, where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, verse 23, now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and to have you assist me in my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we work through this passage in our brief time together this morning. Just pray with me if you would. Father God, we love you. God, thank you for just the gift of song this morning that we could express our great love towards you. And God, remind ourselves again of the finished work of Jesus Christ on his cross where Satan, sin, and death were conquered. And God, now we rest in that. God, we, we boast, we brag only about that God, this time, this brief time together is not um, that we would make a name for ourselves, but that the name of Jesus might be magnified, highlighted, lifted up. And God, I just pray by your mercy, God, that you would allow me to be a part of that this morning. God, I just pray that I would be controlled by your spirit God, I pray that just in our brief time as your word is open, God, that you would just eliminate distractions. God, I pray that I would not be a distraction this morning. God, I pray for those who are still wrestling with the claims of Jesus. If it's true, if he is who he says he is, if he's really done what he said he's done, if he will do what he promises to finish. God, I just pray that the light of the gospel, God, would just illuminate our hearts this morning. God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for Vince and Verity and their incredible team and what you're doing in this city. God, we just, we love you. All of this is for Jesus. It's in his name, I pray. Amen. Verses eight and nine set a foundation and a model for the mission of Paul's life. And if you're familiar with church, maybe have been around, and maybe this doesn't strike you, but it was striking to Paul that a king, not just a king, but that the king of kings would become a servant. What Paul's saying there in verses 8 and 9, the Son of God became a Jewish servant to the Jewish people in order to confirm God's promises that he made to the Jewish patriarch Abraham. And and that's been a great offense to the world, but since one of the promises made to Abraham was, uh, by you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You find that in Genesis chapter 12. Paul goes on to say in verse 9 that the ultimate purpose of Christ's mission to the Jews was so that the Gentiles, and when you hear Gentiles, just read nations, might glorify God for His mercy. If you want to do kind of a little bit of study on that word hope there, uh, Hebrews, uh, th- Hebrews chapter 6, where, where, where Paul talks about we have this hope that's the anchor of our soul. And he's kind of leaning into that, and he's leaning into this amazing reality that the King of kings came to serve so that people might have hope. And so Paul tries to show this, and, and, and through citing four proof tests, from the Old Testament to prove that God's purpose is to be glorified among all peoples. He quotes uh, in, in verse 9, he quotes from Psalm 1850, I will praise you among the Gentiles. In verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy 32, 43, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. In verse 11, he quotes Psalm 117, 1, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And in verse 12, he quotes Isaiah eleven ten. the root of Jesse will spring up, and one who will arise to rule over the than Gentiles will hope in him. What Paul is trying to make very clear to this audience and to us this morning is this, is that the mission of Jesus Christ was to reach the nations, all the peoples, for the glory of God. That's the mission of this church. That's the mission of the congregation that I serve at and attend. That's the mission of the, of, of the followers of Jesus. And what Paul's trying to tell the church here is that this wasn't just some Jewish phenomenon, but that God aims to be glorified for his mercy from all peoples. And that's why the Son, Jesus, ransomed me, men for, for God, the Father. Nate talked about that, actually, today when we were, we're leading. And that from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation, Revelation 5-9 tells us that. And so as we start to kind of talk about this mission that Paul proclaims here in in Romans chapter 15, we see that Jesus is ultimately the model for Paul's life as a missionary. And Paul says, look, I'm simply just picking up where Jesus left off to the Jew first, but ultimately to the Gentile, so that people might glorify God for his great mercy. Paul was so gripped by this purpose of Christ that it was the absolute passion of his life. And, and he was always focused on the unreached and the far-off peoples and the nations and the dark places and the, and the hard-to-get-to corners of the world. And you see that in this text in three places. One's in, in verse 20. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Paul says, I want people who have no idea who Jesus is. I want to take this message there. And Paul's life was just dominated by this great ambition. And when you're reading this, and when you lean into it a little bit, maybe it kind of poses you the question, like, is your life consumed by an ambition from God? Or do you just kind of drift from day to day? You're like, man, I just got things to do. Life is just a checklist for me. Life is thing, just things that I have to accomplish. I, I have to make progress in certain areas. And so you just kind of go from thing to thing, and there's no real kind of coherent vision driving your life. No godly vision. But Paul was driven with godly ambition. And you see in the second statement in verse 24, he said, I, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Oh, Spain. Okay, how did he even know there was Spain? He didn't, he didn't have Google Earth, no TV, no radio. How do he know it was Spain my my hunch is that when every time paul would get on a on a ship and that's how he would travel he would talk to the sailors and he would say what what's the farthest place that you've been how far have you been what what are the people like there Are they religious people? What's the culture like there? What what, what kind of things do they believe in? What supplies do they need? How long does it take to get there? And the sailors would tell him about the end of the world. And the end of the world at that time was Spain. And his ambition was driving him towards the end of the earth so that people might know Jesus. Jesus. And then there's all the other believers that are still in Judea and Samaria and Syria and Asia and Macedonia, this, these geographical locations near where Paul was. And it leads to the third amazing statement at the end of verse 19. He says, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. From Jerusalem and southern Palestine to the land that connects northern Greece and northern Italy, Paul preached in such a way that he could say, I'm finished. I'm done. I've accomplished what I set out to do. In verse 23, he says, there's no more place for my work in these regions. My missionary task is complete. When, when I was in college, which in my mind doesn't seem like very long ago, but it really was. I'm 36 now, so I guess it was a long time ago. But I never, ever thought about actually finishing. I was just there, and I kind of like to go through it. And I remember very distinctly, I, I was just sitting at home watching a surf video, and my roommate came in. My roommate, Hassan, came in, and he's like, well, I'm done. I'm like... Done with what? What are you talking about? He's like, well, I, I just finished my last class. I'm, I'm graduating. I'm like, graduating? And I was like, I was actually like, it hurt my feelings. Like he had betrayed some kind of secret pact that we had that we were just, we weren't going to finish. We we're just going to keep doing this as long as they allow us to keep going. But it jolted me, that, that like thought, like him kind of coming in, he's like, well, it happened, I don't even know how, but I'm done, I'm graduating, I've I'm, finished school. But it jolted me to eventually kind of taking action on, and I was able to cram four years into about five and a half, and then I finally finished too. But I want to put that question in front of you this morning. How often do you think about how you might finish in this life? I'm not talking about retirement. I'm not talking about your bucket list. I'm not talking about your your family dynamic that you want to have. I'm not talking about the plaques or the trophies or the accolades that you've piled up on your shelves. I'm talking about the measure of your life as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably haven't given that very much thought at all. But I want you to consider that as an option for your life this morning. But those of you who are followers of Jesus— How often do you think about the measure of your life as a follower of Jesus and what that life will look like when you're finished? A a big part of what I try to do when I serve college students, and and it's my most favorite people group, young adults, college students, millennials, whatever you want to call it. At that age stage, it's just my most favorite people group to work with, speak with, serve, love, disciple, care for but I, my, I try to get them to think seriously about the life that God has, has given. One, one of my most favorite and influential books that I've ever read is a book called Don't Waste Your Life by a pastor named John Piper. And the principle in that book is is that you look at every day that you've given as a gift, as an opportunity to make much of Jesus in your studies at school, in your career, in your relationships, in your entertainment, in your recreation, in your partying, in your dating, in your marriages, in your uh, raising of children, in your parenting, in everything that you do, that you are working through and using that as a way to make much of Jesus. The way that we say it around here in Redemption Church, we say all of life is all for Jesus. Which is an incredible statement, not just because it's our statement, but because it says that everything that you do matters to God. Everything? Yes. Everything. Everything that you do matters to God. He cares about it all. He cares about everything that you do. I, I want to give you three questions this morning to have you consider as you look in your life. Turn over to Acts chapter 20, if you have about it. Acts chapter 20, it's just to the left. I don't think we're going to have it on the screen. Totally my fault. Acts chapter 20, and I want to just give you three questions this morning um, as you look at your life. We'll be in Acts chapter 20. We'll start in verse 17. And again, this is, this is uh, written here. We're going to read a letter that was written by Paul. Um, he started a church, just like kind of Vince and his team have started this church, at a place called Ephesus. And um, he was there for three years, and kind of towards the end of Paul's ministry, he gives kind of a farewell address to the Ephesian elders at that church. And and I I want you, um, if you could this morning, I want you to imagine that the room that we're in right now, that this room is full of all people that have seen your life. That they've had a, a perspective into your life. They know you. They know things about you. They know details of your life. But but they've all had a kind of a front row seat to what's happening in your life. And then we bring you up on stage and you have an opportunity to kind of give a farewell speech to all these people that have watched you and, and been close to you and been your friends and family and people that you've loved and people that have loved you. Because this is Paul's kind of farewell speech to those people. Verse 17 from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of, of Asia. The first question I want you to consider this morning as we, as we look at Paul's mission in his life and you consider the mission of your life is that what, what's your record? What, what's your record? And we see that in verse 18. So if you, if you were to stand up here and you were to make that statement, And and, and you just stood up here and you said, You guys, you saw me, you know how I lived. Could you make that statement with confidence and then kind of step away from the mic and then just kind of for the rest of our time together have an open mic night and everybody else gets to fill in the blank on that? Would that make you incredibly uncomfortable? Would that be scary for you? If you stood up and everybody everybody who's had a view into your life, a perspective of your life, you could say, Guys, you, you know how I lived. Because Paul confidently says that here. He says, you know how I I live. One of the things that we always talk about in in 710 with young adults is is a a principle. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't believe the Bible or anything, you you still can kind of understand the value of this statement. But beginning with the end in mind, kind of like reverse engineering your life. You want to end up in a certain place. You want to be a certain someone. You want to do a certain thing. You want a certain phrase or phrases or motto said over your life. There were a banner to fly over your life. So you, but you begin thinking of that moment of the end. There's a, there's a principle that I always share. It's the principle of the path. And the principle of the path is this. Direction, not intention, leads to destination. Maybe it's too cute for you, but it's direction, not intention, leads to destination. Let me illustrate that. So Vince and I, were going to go to California for whatever reason. We have to go there. We're going to go to San Diego. We're going to go, surf. So if we get in the car and we get down to I-10 and I say, hey, man, I think we should go east. Are we ever going to end up in San Diego? But no, but you've got to understand, like Vince and I, we prayed about it. We spent serious time praying about it. We read all about San Diego. We read all about traveling to San Diego. We were in a small group with other people where we talked about our trip to San Diego. We, we, we did service projects in the community where we talked about the greatness of San Diego. But yet when we got to the place where we could either go west towards San Diego or east towards who knows where Vince and I would go, We went east, so it it was our direction, not our intention, that ultimately leads to our destination, and in your life too. This room is full of great intentions to do incredible things, to help this world that we live in, to serve people, to love people, to possibly even make the name of Jesus famous like what we've been talking about here, but it is the directions that you take in your life, not just the intentions that will lead to your ultimate destination that would lead to this place. And listen, you do not have to live your life flawlessly, but you should be living it intentionally. You don't have to live your life flawlessly. We celebrate the grace of God here. But you should be living it intentionally with a focus on Jesus Christ. Let's continue to look through Paul's letter to the elders. Look at verse 19. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The second question that I want you to consider, the first is, what's my record? Like, what, what's my record? What, what, what do people say over my life? What's my record in front of people? The second question is, what's driving you? What, what, what's your drive? And I have um, a, a pretty addictive personality, and I think that in some ways I've kind of passed that on to my kids, especially if I've got kids five uh Four, thank, oh three. Thank you, my wife's back there. Five, three. Father of the year. Five, three, and eighteen months ish. Yeah, and uh, and I've I've noticed when they're under two, it's just like okay, but. Um, and I've noticed that there's kind of been, like, some addif- addictive things that I've kind of passed on to some of my kids. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this movie Frozen, but especially in, in that realm. So my two little girls were Anna and Elsa for, uh, for Halloween. I get that right, too? Anna, Anna and Elsa. And, like, when, when Let It Go came, I was, like, addictive personality. Let it go. Let it go. The irony of that song is that no one can let it, actually let it go. And, and, and it, they were just, like, driven by that, and everything was that, and even, uh, all, kind, of, kind of all that. But what is your obsession pointed towards? What consumes you? Like when you wake up in the morning, there is a consuming thought that you have. As you go through your day, there's something that's motivating you. And it affects the way that you spend your money. It affects the relationships that you choose. It affects the places that you go or don't go. What is compelling you? What's motivating you? What, what's, what's pushing you? Is, is it the opinions of other people? Is, is that what motivates you? Almost like kind of entraps and enslaves you that there are things that you won't say or won't do or won't eat or won't wear or won't go or won't listen to or won't watch because you are just so scared of what people might say about you. Or or maybe it's it's something that's like kind of much higher, much grander, like, but there's 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 a compelling force in your life that motivates you, that makes you do the things that you do. Verse 22, Paul continues to talk about it. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. He says, look, I'm going to Jerusalem to complete the work that Jesus gave me to do, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there. Let me ask you this, Christian. Do you trust God to walk in the places under that scenario? When Paul says, I'm compelled by the Spirit, what he's saying is, I am so in tune to who God is and what He wants that it doesn't matter where I go and it doesn't matter what's going to happen to me. I'm just going to follow the call of God on my life. I'm just going to follow the direction that God has laid out for me. In your own life, in your own particular scenario, do you trust God to walk into those places where you don't know what's going to happen? Verse 23, he says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So Paul says, look, I'm just, I'm compelled by the Spirit of God. I'm in tune to what God says over my life. And I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to face there. I don't know if they're going like to like me. I don't know if they're not going to like me. I don't know if there's going to be a place for me to stay, if there's going to be anything for me to eat. I, I don't know. I don't know any of those things. And, and then he says, interestingly enough, he's like, actually, the one thing I do know is that there's going to be hardships in prison. A significant life has a singular focus on an eternal purpose. Paul says, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to go where God tells me to go. The screensaver on my computer says that the great use of life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. And so as you consider your life, are you investing in in what will outlast your life? The scripture says that what we have is a, it's a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. And, and, and I had a professor when I was in Bible college, and, and, and this is what he said. He said, the two things that last forever, souls of men and the word of God. Now, I just got done telling you that everything that you do matters to God. So I just want you to think, well, man, if I'm not like a missionary or pastor or like a K-Love DJ, I guess what I do doesn't matter, right? Please don't be a K-Love DJ. But, um, but in what, and we're going to talk about this in just a second, but in whatever God calls you to do, let the word of God drive it and, and be concerned, be overly concerned and absolutely captured with the thought that there are people around you that do not know the love of Jesus, that have not experienced his redemptive power and the redemptive story of what he's done and what, he, what he's doing. Paul says, I'm, I'm driven by that. Paul was driven by listening to the Spirit of God. And, and we see that actually twice in the book of Acts because there were times where people people loved Paul. They, they told him, look, don't go. Don't go to these places. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem because when you get there, they're going to kill you. And, and the next chapter over in, in verse 4 it was kind of actually one of those times we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days and through the spirit they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem and said look don't go don't go there we know what's going to happen to you it's going to be all bad for you don't go there but God was showing Paul listen listen to my voice I know that there's a the voice of other people in your life but let my voice be the loudest voice in your life and, and in verse 10 and, and through 13 and after in chapter 21 of Acts after we had been there a number of days a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming over to us, he took Paul's belt—it's a pretty gutsy move—tied his own hand and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But then in verse 13, this is an incredible verse in chapter 21 of Acts, Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Paul says, You know that I love you. Why are you doing this to me? I I have no choice but to listen to what God tells me to do. And here you are. You're weeping. You've taken off my belt. That's weird. You're tying yourself up. You're crying. You're breaking my heart. He says, I am ready not only to be bound, I'm not only ready to be tied up, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And in verse 14, he, they said, look, he, he, he's not going to be dissuaded. We gave up and we said, okay, the Lord's will be done in your life. Paul was so in tune to the Spirit of God that he would, be, he would obey God no matter what. And if you want your life to count, if you, if you want at the end of, of your life something that reflects beautifully who Jesus is and what he has done, live a life that is driven and compelled by the Spirit of God. I think the question that I get the most often from college students, young adults, is what do I do with my life? What do I do with my life? What's the will of God in my life? Here's the will of God in your life. See? Aren't you glad you came today? Whatever you do. God's will for your life is whatever you do. The next step that God is laying out for you, the scripture says that whatever your hand finds to do it, do it heartily unto the Lord. Do it with everything that you have so as to glorify God. Obey God's yes in, in, in your life. If you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the will of God in my life? What's the will of my God? And you're thinking kind of down the line, full, like long-term, whatever. I, I just want to kind of challenge you and encourage you. Start with what's in front of you. And not just what's in front of you, but also start with who's in front of you. My, my wife, uh, she's a stay-at-home mom. We have three beautiful little kids. We live in Gilbert, safest city and most boring city in the United States of America. And, and and we are um. We're we're surrounded by people who look like they have it all together, but they're far from Christ. And and my wife, I'm I'm so convicted and at the same time encouraged by what she does with her life in our neighborhood, in our home. She she has other kids over so that this mom can go to the grocery store. Uh, she, she goes over and cleans other people's houses. She s- spends time with them. She started this little book club thing. I don't, I don't know what they do there, but I think it's good. And they're all kind of together. But, but here's the thing. Like, God has given my wife a particular trajectory and path in her life. She, she is, she's going to love Jesus. She's going to love me. She's going to love our kids. She's going to take care of our home, and, and she's going to provide for us, and she's going to kind of do all these things. And so she's like, you know what, I, I, I can't go out to eat every day like my husband does with people, and, and I can't just go to coffee all over the place. I'm not going to Ethiopia necessarily. I, mean, I can't go down to Mexico. I can't do all the things, but I can walk next door and talk to somebody who does not yet know Jesus. And, and to you, that maybe that doesn't sound very cool or sexy or whatever or edgy or whatever you kind of want to put on it, but God has said, who's in front of you? What's your next step? God says, this is the yes that I'm putting on your life. Go and proclaim. Go and make me known to those who do not yet know me. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, this this is kind of Paul's mission statement. He said, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everybody fully mature. That means grown up in Christ, and to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What's driving you? Paul says, everything that is in me is so that people might be presented fully grown up in Christ. Everything. The first is what's your record, the second is what's driving you, what's compelling you, and the last is what's your your point. We're just about done here. What's your point? Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I love this verse. Paul says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace how do you make your life count for nothing? That's not a very popular kind of idea, is it? Because everybody's always trying to make a name for themselves, right? And Paul says, here's what I want. I want my life to count for nothing. I want my life to come from there. I, I, I want this life on this earth to be worth nothing so that I can do what God has for me, so that I can do the task that God has specifically for me. Just think about your, your life this morning. Like, what are you doing and what will it matter one day? I never, I never gave that a, a thought when, when I was in, in college, in, in, in post-college either. I, n- I never gave that light a thought. Whatever you have in your life or you do with your life is a means to an end, and the end is the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, he, what he is doing now, and what he will complete. Again, what should you do with your life? Whatever God, has given, whatever God puts in front of you, you do it to make him known in humility and joy. And, and it doesn't mean that your career or that your family, it doesn't mean that those things aren't important because they're very important. It means our lives are more about showing the world what it looks like to honor Jesus in our careers. What it looks like to, to honor Jesus as a nurse, as a teacher, as a uh, in, in real estate, as a banker, as a CPA, as a doctor, as a as a stay-at-home mom. What does it mean to honor Jesus with that? And what does it look like when Jesus runs our families? What does it look like when Jesus sits on the HOA board? HOA is this homeowners association thing. So your parents got it. Don't just whatever. back to back to Romans eighteen. Back to Romans chapter fifteen. We'll, we're going to finish in verse eighteen in Romans chapter fifteen. When when Paul says, "I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me," w- what he's saying is. Something similar to he says in First Corinthians 15, 10, he says, He says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with, with me. Second Corinthians 3, 5, he says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. In other words, what Paul's driving at here and there, he says, look, this missionary labor, this mission work that I do with my life, it's not on my own. It's God's work. It's God working in me and through me. And he says, look, this life, this missionary life that I have, it's a supernatural gift from God. The, the, the mission that my wife has to our neighbors, it's a supernatural gift from God. The mission that God is calling you to in your, in your dorm rooms, in your apartment complexes, in your classrooms, at your places of work, in your neighborhoods, is a supernatural gift from God and Paul saying it's as though I have died and that Christ has taken over ministry. The only people who can bear fruit for God are the people who know that they can't bear fruit for God on their own. John 15:5 I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I live in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this to the church of Galatia, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave him else for me. So if, if we did bring Paul, so we'll go back to Vince's thing. We, we do put Paul in a time machine, bring him back here, and you he said, okay, well, if Christ accomplishes everything in your mission life and he gets all the glory, well, then, Paul, what do you do? What's your role in it? Where do you you fit in? And Paul would say, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, our vernacular, what Paul would say is, my life is all about leaning on and leaning into the grace of God. The superabundance of God himself in my life, the person of Jesus Christ, my life is all about leaning on and leaning into the grace of God in my life. And you see, when you live like that, you become small. You, you just become small. And God becomes massive. When you lean into the grace of God, this undeserved and unmerited favor of God in your life, and you see it in everything. You see it in the meal that you're going to have this afternoon. You, you see it in the, in the great times that you have with your friends. You see it when you're out hiking and you see it when you're out. And you're in school. You see it when you're at work and you're pouring coffee for someone else. You, when you, you see the grace of God there, you become small. And, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing because God becomes massive in your life. And you begin to see how jacked up and how wrecked you are and how much you've blown it and how broken you are. And then you also see how good, simultaneously, you see how good God is. And you see how he provides and you see his goodness and his gifts and his love and his mercy and his hope and his joy just super abounding in your, in your life. And, and, and your love for him grows in you and, and, and your love for others begins to grow. When you, like Paul, can say, look, it." My life is not about me. My life is not about me. Paul says, look, I trust in his sovereign grace to conquer the greed and fear and the vanity of my heart. I trust in in his sovereign grace to give me hope when I'm depressed, to give me friendship when I'm lonely, to give me spiritual power in the face of temptation, to give me words of truth and wisdom when I need to preach. I trust in the grace of God to give me love when I am hated, peace when I'm surrounded by turmoil, and perseverance when I feel like quitting. And, and Paul says, look, and I trust God. I trust in the grace of God to give me just enough health and protection to do the work that he's called me to do as long as he's called me to do it, wherever he's called me to do it, and just enough sickness and danger and suffering to keep me deep and earnest and real in my prayer and my dependence on him. And when you step out in faith like this, it's not you who steps out, but it's Jesus who steps out. The, the, the vision that Vince has for this city, and it's a vision that I know he just lays on you and he shares, and it's a God-given vision, is that Jesus would walk through Flagstaff and change and transform this city. And so that college students and young adults and even older adults would not just kind of constantly live with the regrets of the morning after, but would give their lives to making the name of Jesus known and celebrating his incredible and massive love for rebellious sinners. And years from now, when you, like Paul, are writing your last letter, when you're writing your farewell address, you will know exactly what Paul meant when he said, I will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And it's to him It's to him that gets the glory and the fame and the honor and the recognition and the praise and the worship forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we love you so much. And God, we can't ever say it enough. We can't ever sing it enough But God, this morning we are just overwhelmed at how good you are. Your perfect plan for redeeming people, for setting us right, taking the broken things of our life and just weaving them then into this beautiful picture. And God, um, I pray for myself. God, I pray for this congregation. God, and I pray for this city. God, that we would feel the ripple effect of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. And God, that there would be a transformation that sweeps through Flagstaff. God, there there would be a transformation that sweeps through our hearts and our lives. God, that there would be a transformation that sweeps through my home. God, because we're constantly living for the mission that Jesus is better. God, I pray again for the person here today who's just working through and doesn't know if any of this is true and probably even skeptical that any of this is true. God, maybe even a life on mission to you sounds like a complete waste to them. God, I just pray that by the power of your spirit, God, you would just bring sight. God, would they, they, they would just have ears to hear you calling. God, I pray for the Christian today, God, who just, even this morning, just kind of stumbles in here with mounds of regret, God, would they know that your grace is sufficient? God, as Nate talked about just at the start of our time together, God, that they are loved and accepted and approved of because of the finished work of Jesus. And God, I just pray most of all, God, that this message, this message would go forth not in our, not just in our lives today, but God, tomorrow and the years to come. And God, would we just say that because of uh, what, what you did in the life of Paul, God, that we were encouraged and compelled to make the, Jesus, make the name of Jesus known. God, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for just how good you are to us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're, we're going to just have a time of reflection right now. And, and in this time, we're just going to ask that you um, just kind of be still, if you can keep from kind of getting up and moving around the room, there are, there are people who are really wrestling with what they heard this morning. Maybe for you, it's a posture of your head bowed and your eyes closed, not that that kind of summons any, kind of conjures anything from God, but maybe it just keeps you from being distracted. They're gonna come in just a moment and kind of talk to us about the next kind of steps in our liturgy this morning. But I want to give you a gift. Redemption Flagstaff gives you a gift of quiet for just a moment. That you could just kind of consider what you heard from God this morning. So take this time and do that.